0: Well, what do you think? That's how Jesus introduces his parable today. This is the third week in a row we've been in parables of in Matthew. Uh, frankly, though, this one's probably a lot easier to get. The first week was uh, the unforgiving servant parable. The last week was the uh, parable of the laborers in the vineyard. Um, those were long and kind of, you know. This one, though, was really short. What do you think? man has two children, two sons. He tells the first son, to, well, son, I want you to go out and work in the vineyard. And the first son says, no. Well, then it says that he changed his mind and he ended up going. And then the second son, the dad goes to him and says, son, you go and work in the vineyard. And the second son says, okay. And then he doesn't go. And then Jesus asked the question, which of the two did the will of the Father? What do you think? Which one did the will of the Father? This is a question to y'all. This is not one where I'm just going to. Which one? The first one? The second one? Not the third one. Not... Huh? Huh? The first one, neither one of them were perfect. But in the end, yeah, the first one, you got it right, Francis. Now I want to ask, what is the will of the Father? I hear a good bit when folks will say, um, I'm trying to figure out what God's will is for me. What is God's will for my life? What is God's plan for my life? And, And not to disappoint those that might think I have an inroads in that, um I really think that God's will for us is, well, kind of what Scripture says to love God with all we got, heart, soul mind, and strength, and to love others, love our neighbors, as ourselves. That's God's will for us, I think. I don't know that God has this particular plan for me, that I'm supposed to do this or that and that and, I I just don't see that. And of course, part of the reason why I see that that way is because it seems like very often when people say they know God's plan is that it always is going to be rosy. It's going to be something that makes them rich, successful. I don't know. That's always God's plan. Um, I just think that God's will is to love God and to love others. And that's it. Now, of course, to say that's it, really means everything because that is what life is about every day in the wrestling of loving God more fully and loving others in an increasingly deeper way and broader way. So to say that's it, well, yeah, that's everything. Now, which one would you say you are? This is one you don't have to answer out loud. Are you the one that says yes but does no? Are you the one that says no but does yes? Or are you the really good one that says yes and does yes? Now, before we get into that, I want to go back a little bit and kind of put some context around this, about what's going on around this story. Last week we read in uh, Matthew 20. Now we're in Matthew 21. At the beginning of Matthew 21, things are really starting to um, get real. Jesus and the religious authorities had had a little bit of differences along the way, you know. But now it's getting real. Beginning of chapter 21, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey on what we call Palm Sunday when people were laying down coats, when they were laying down palm branches, and they were saying things like, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the son of David. And all these kinds of great pop. Proclamations to Jesus, a very symbolic notion of Jesus coming into Jerusalem with great authority given him by God. However, it's Jerusalem, the religious center of the Jewish faith, the religious leaders, they were the authority. Who's the authority? Right after that story, it gets even deeper. Right after that story of the going into Jerusalem, Jesus goes into the temple. He runs out the, um, the merchants. He turns over the tables of the money changers and he says, You know, this is supposed to be my father's house of prayer, but instead you've turned it into a den of robbers. That didn't endear him with the religious leadership. There's a lot of tension. Who is the authority? Who has God given the authority to? And that's the essence of this parable today. And we see it before we even get to the parable. Because it says that the chief priests, the elders of the people, they come to him. It says, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? And then Jesus pulls one on them. He says, i tell you what. Who gave John the Baptist his authority? You remember John the Baptist? He's the guy that baptized Jesus. Before he baptized Jesus, though, he'd already gone out in the wilderness proclaiming, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And do you remember, and this is only in Matthew's telling of it, when he's out there baptizing folks, he sees the Pharisees and the scribes, some of the religious leaders. Remember what he says to them? You brood of vipers... Who warned you to flee the wrath that is coming? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. That would not endear John to most of the religious leaders. Calling somebody a brood of vipers, that's not not really nice. There's a lot of disagreement about who is the authority. Is it Jesus? Is it these religious leaders? Now, why does Jesus call out the religious leaders? It has nothing to do with the Jewish faith. It has nothing to do with most all of the Jewish people. It has nothing to do really with their system of worship. What it has to do with those who had been given the authority by God were abusing it. These chief priests, these, these elders, these scribes, these ones that were supposed to be shepherds of the people who cared for the people instead these shepherds were really wolves they took advantage of the folks they abused their authority to to get more for themselves they were utterly hypocritical in all that they did it had nothing to do with the Jewish faith, let's let's get that out there it had to do with the greed of a few on top (coughs) And Jesus was becoming a threat to them more and more. Well, he tells this story. And oh, and that was nothing new. You can read the prophets of the Old Testament. They did so much of the same thing, calling out the religious leaders, the kings, those who were supposed to be the ones that care for people, who watch out for the strangers, the the widows, the orphans among them. Um, They weren't doing that at all. The Old Testament prophets did it. Jesus is doing it again here. So he tells this parable. Obviously, he's calling out these religious leaders as the ones who said yes, but then do no. And instead, who does he lift up? He lifts up the tax collectors and the prostitutes. Good thing the kids aren't in here. Tax collectors, those who made some money, but they did it through corruption by bleeding the already poor citizens with the backing of the hated Roman military force, and the prostitutes, you know what they do. Why did he lift them up? I think he lifts them up as an example of those who are totally on the outside of things, who are totally um, worthless in the eyes of people, but also people who have struggled with who they are and maybe had a little bit of something to them, attention, a little bit of money, little bit of power and they saw that it was nothing so in other words these were people who didn't have a leg to stand on and they knew that the only way they could get anywhere was by accepting the power of another the authority of another and that authority was God and it says these folks are entering the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of heaven is the heaven right here and now being lived out These folks were the ones that were embracing God's way of seeking to try to love God and love others. These religious leaders weren't at all. But now back to us. What do you think? Who are you in this story? Are you the the one who says no, but ends up doing yes? Are you the one who... Says yes, but then does no. Or are you the one that says yes and then does yes? Well, aren't you something if you I gotta say I'm both. Sometimes I'll say no. This notion of God wants me to love God more deeply, and God wants me to love that person? No. I'm not going to do that. And sometimes over time, I find myself embracing that which I had been called to do. Very often kicking and screaming. Then there's other times for me where, oh yeah, I can love. But then over time, I grind my teeth and go, there ain't no way. And actually, I'll be honest with you, I'm Struggling with that right now with a certain situation where somebody really just um, d- just did me dirty about something. I ain't gonna tell you what it is, and it's nobody in this church, so don't don't start thinking who is it. It wasn't Jim Banks. He's always doing that. You know, I'm used to that. I, I struggle. I don't know about you. I don't know if you struggle. I hope so. Because if you don't think about it. God wants us to love God deeply. God wants us to love others and we don't get to define those others and wants us to love them deeply too. Now if you're like me and you wrestle with this a couple things I would suggest. One of them I came across and one of them I thought of myself actually for a change. One is um, something to do before you go to bed at night this is one I read even though I I know this and she suggested ten I'm gonna be realistic and just say five before your head hits the pillow at night think of five things that you're thankful for five things that happened in that day that you're thankful for now and if you can play in your head about why you're thankful maybe it's a particular thing that person did okay I'll give you an example (coughs) Carter, he's not here, he's in Florida, so I can talk about him and he's not getting embarrassed. Let's say Carter did something nice for his sister that day, which is a miracle, much less, but no, I can't even, I'm not even thinking, if he did something kind, you know, um, or Say you're thankful because you you had a chance to talk to someone you hadn't talked to in a bit and it it felt good to talk to that person and be reminded of their friendship or the relationship you have with them. Five things. And this lady that suggested this, it, it makes us feel better that we don't always fail because life does have its blessings. And then the other one is one I kind of thought of. And it goes back to what I've said the last two weeks about those parables. Is that The parables really are not about, it wasn't about the labors in the vineyard. It really wasn't about the, the unforgiving servant. Um, it wasn't today about the two sons. Really, this parable is about God, who is the Father, who continues to call both these children, no matter how they respond, And if I think we could write this story more, he's going to keep calling both of them because this God is a God of all grace and all patience and all kindness. And it reminded me, well, I read a story this week that reminded me of that. I want to read it. It's come from a man named Samuel Wells. He's a uh, minister in England in the Anglican tradition. Twenty-three years ago, When I was in my first pastoral appointment, that means his first church, there was an 11-year-old boy who started coming to my church at the suggestion of a teacher at his middle school. He was an isolated, disconsolate figure who didn't mix easily, and he took a greedy share of the cookies after worship. After he had been coming a few months, funds were found for him to participate in a parish weekend retreat. By Saturday morning the complaints were raining down. He was rude. He was grabbing food. He was bullying the younger children. The adults finally had to talk to each other about it. It was one of those conversations where the pastor doesn't get a vote. The teacher through, him, through whose influence the boy had first come to church pointed out that being brought up solely by his young and temperamental father he was a troubled boy looking for security. Allowances were made Patient was maintained, and gradually the lad began to find his feet. Nine months later, at a special evening service, he was baptized. His father wasn't there. His mother and brother living across town, they weren't there either. But about 40 people were. And each member of the congregation was invited to describe what they most valued about being members of that church. One of them said friendship. Another person said acceptance. A third person said trust. Then when the little boy was asked that same question, his narrow-fixed frown broke for once into a smile, and he said, you didn't throw me out after that first weekend. That boy's life, this goes on to say, was not an easy one. It's not an easy one for him. He experienced homelessness and such, and, and his father died very sadly. But this young man is still holding on that this church, this God, never gave up on him. That's something I think we can go to bed at night giving thanks to God for. This morning you'll see in your bulletin, Kim, put in an insert that's this color. And you will have seen the picture that comes with that uh, being, you want to throw that on there now. You've probably seen this, we put it up at communion sometimes. And it's um, a lady named Jan Richardson, who is more of an artist than a writer, but she's also a great writer. And today is World Communion Sunday. Um, And this that she writes to me, as I read it, reminded me of this is God's will for our world. So I thought at the end of this parable that talks about doing God's will, this would be an appropriate thing to read. And the table will be wide, and the table will be wide, and the welcome will be wide, and the arms will open wide to gather us in, and our hearts will open wide to receive. And we will come as children who trust that there is enough. And we will come unhindered and free, and our arching will be met with bread, and our sorrow will be met with wine, and we will open our hands to the feast without shame. We will turn toward each other without fear. And we will give up our appetite for despair. And we will taste and know of delight. And we will become bread for a hungering world. We will become drink for those who thirst. And the blessed will become the blessing. And everywhere will be the feast. That's God's will. That all places among all people there will be the feast of God. And thanks be to that God for God's grace and love. Amen.